Assalamu alaikum everyone. I hope that all of you are well. Today's episode is a personal favorite of mine where I will be talking about why I believe Islam makes the most sense and the signs that made me believe in Islam. So to get a few things out the way, I made an episode a long time ago about atheism and Christianity where I talked about like some of the different foundations and contradictional beliefs and why I thought it was wrong. I never shared my personal experience and going through the journey of getting that information and what it was like. So this episode will not only talk about the personal experience that I went through, but it's also going to share some of the contradictions in these foundationals that I feel like is wrong in my opinion. I also want to say that I'm not trying to insult anyone that is of a different belief. I know that I have some viewers that are not Muslim. My intention is not to insult you or to be rude to you. I don't have that intention. This is going to be a little bit of that with a little bit of personal experiences so everyone can correlate to it. One thing growing up that I mentioned a lot in my story was that Alhamdulillah, I was born in a practicing household. But the big problem that I came around was why am I Muslim? Am I Muslim because I'm scared of going to hell? Am I Muslim because my parents you know taught us islam like why am i and this was an answer that i was very very scared of getting because if i didn't if i didn't get an answer that i liked i knew that i would end up being on edge and want to leave it took me at least two three maybe even four years to come to the conclusion of okay i guess you're just gonna have to dig and find out because the biggest problem is we do confirmation bias and everyone does this i did it back in my day when i was very naive and you know you think this world is going to make you happy you're very scared to get answers when it comes to religion because you think that, okay, I'm not have to leave it. That's not always the case. What you need to do sometimes is to get out of your confirmation bias, get out of your comfort zone, and realize that God has given you an intellect and a rational thinking for a reason. We have to put it into use, and we have to figure out why we believe in what we believe in. Because blind faith is great when you know that your faith is correct. If you have doubt that your faith is not correct, you need to you need to do some digging. And I always just felt confused. I never thought Islam had a flaw in it. I always just thought it wasn't right for me and I was just always so caught up in it and I was like is it true is it not like I was so scared to get an answer because I knew that if I got something I didn't like it would be all and over for me so alhamdulillah I, I eventually you know as I grew older I did my research I did it then I did it now and what I'm going to be sharing with you guys is a bunch of random random little facts kind of spread out as to why I don't believe in a lot of the other religions that you will see today Again, just to preface, I'm not sitting here giving you a whole perfect timeline and a historical background of every single religion. I'm going to tell you the main concepts that don't sit right with me and that don't sit right with a lot of other people and what made me kind of come to this decision today. So getting straight to the point, I'm just going to get into it. And I'm honestly going to start with Christianity because I have the most to say on this one. Obviously, Christians, they believe that Jesus is God, they believe that God came down in human form, and they believe in the Trinity, which states that the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus are all in one. Yes, I should say the Son. They believe the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son, they're all one. So, I'm going to get started with the Trinity, because I think a lot of you saw this coming, and my take on this might be a little bit something different that a lot of you might have not heard, and then some of this you probably have heard before. When I first learned about the Trinity... And, you know, I saw the diagram on Google and I highly recommend you guys to go on Google right now and type in the Trinity and see this little triangle diagram that will pop up because what I'm about to say right now might confuse you a little bit if you don't have a diagram in front of you. When I first saw it, the first thing that rang in my mind, I'm like, so is Christianity an underlining polytheistic religion? And right when I say this, I was like, no, 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 it's one God. Like it's, it's Jesus. They believe Jesus is God. But then I was like, but hold on. If you have a father that is not the son. And the Son, that is not the Father. The Father, which is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Then you have a Son, that is not the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not the Son. But simultaneously, these three aspects are also God. 
then you're telling me that there's three individual branches of power and they are also God, but they all link back to one thing, but they're three different identities. And in my brain, this instantly went off. How can a God that is all-powerful share or separate power? And moreover, if they're all the same three identities, they should all have the same knowledge for the most part, right? However, I'm going to go on and I'm going to share some Bible verses with you that, in my opinion, completely contradict the belief. Now, the thing is, I've talked to a lot of Christians who, by the way, have never been able to give me one set explanation for the Trinity. And I've talked to some who've straight up told me, they're like, I don't believe in the Trinity. I don't believe in it. We don't confide the Trinity. We just think Jesus is God. We follow the Bible. And I was like, okay, but how does that work? Because I feel like Christians inevitably were forced to derive the Trinity from the Bible because the Bible constantly discusses a father, a son, Jesus, Holy Spirit, duh, over and over and over and over again. Like It just goes on and on and on. What option do you have but to derive that there is an opinion that there is three separate identities that also link back to God? In my opinion, you don't. And if I was a Christian and I, first of all, I don't, I don't even agree with the Trinity. I think the Trinity is very, very flawed to think that there's three different identities and they're all God, but somehow they're all not each other, but they all are each, but they're all God, which means that simultaneously they all have the same characteristics of God, but they themselves are not each other. This concept already I disagree with. But then when you go out of your way and you say, I don't believe in the Trinity, but I believe in the aspect of three and one, one plus plus one plus one plus one is one. I just believe in that. I, I, I think that's even more flawed because if you look at the Bible verses and you look at the way that things are written out, I don't think Christians had much of a choice besides to derive a Trinity because how else are you supposed to explain a Holy Spirit, a father and a son? except through a trinity but the concept comes down to be that the trinity itself is false so this borderline base already was something that didn't wrap around my head and i constantly kept telling myself oh you probably just don't know you're probably not educated enough so i i asked i asked millions and i've done a lot to figure it out and i just haven't and i've never been able to get one explanation and i just don't understand why first of all a whole powerful god would even be willing to share his powers First of all, and if he's not sharing his powers, why are the three different identities? And how come those three different identities can all be God, but they can't be each other? Because if they are all God, they're all the same, they're all simultaneous, they're all one, then why are they not each other? And I always hear this example of, you know, they're all one combined, then they're all each other, you mean. But if you look at the outside of the diagram, if by the way, you, you probably should have pulled one up by now. But if you look at the outside, they're not each other. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're not each other, but they're all God. And this concept is something that no matter what I do in my lifetime, I just cannot wrap my head around. Because anytime a Christian has explained to me, I've always gotten a different answer. I have a friend who, well, I don't even know if I should call her a friend and acquaintance. <laughs> is that mean to say? I'm, I'm not close to her. I just know her. I know a girl in school whose father is a pastor. And she's a very sweet girl, but I talked to her about this. And I was like, so what's your opinion on the Trinity? She goes, well, I don't believe in it. I, I just believe in God being three in one, but I don't believe in the Trinity. Um, the tr Trinity states that God's three in one, right? And she's like, no, no, no. I just, I just don't necessarily believe in like the Trinity, but I believe that in three in one, he has all these powers. And I was like, okay, I, I see where you're coming from, but there's some Bible verses that contradict that. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. One thing that I do want to point out that we all know of is that the Bible was said to be written in biblical hebrew or biblical aramaic but it's not like that today it's written in english and we don't consider in english the translation we literally say this is the bible you open up a bible it's written in english we say this is the bible this is the divine word of god they don't say oh hey this is a translation and let's not act like translation doesn't lose words it does honestly i've never met a christian that denied that when you translate something it loses so much 
of the meaning every single time without a shadow of a doubt there's no way you could translate one thing from another language and it doesn't leave out meaning it happens every single time so we're well aware of that not to mention we're also well aware that literally in history from an unbiased point of view we've all learned that the bible has been edited through the state and legal authorities for their own benefit and purpose this is in textbooks we learn about this every single day almost in history you can't deny that if you want to deny that that's you doing confirmation bias because even from an unreligious unreligious point of view we're told this another thing that really made me think was i said to myself who wrote the bible because the bible is from god but who's god then which who wrote the bible and when you actually do your research behind it there's nearly 30 plus authors who were involved in the writing of the bible and one of the well-known ones being paul the apostle now paul the apostle there's quite a few problems with this matter that i'm about to bring up with you right now he was a saint that was known to spread the word of jesus and there's some underlying contradictions that even Christians themselves tend to confide by. So what is told to us was that Jesus' death was calculated around 30 to 36 AD. However, the Bible was said to be written a lot later. Some calculate nearly a century, while some calculate around 50 to 58. But in my mind, it just, it seems strange to me how no matter what time frame it was, whether it was a century, which seems like a lot, or it was 10, 20, 50 years, in my mind, it just doesn't make sense that what is the guarantee that things couldn't have been forgotten or changed. And the instantly thing that everyone says to me is, well, you know, there was reasons why this happened. There's a reason why this worked out. This is how it was, you know, worked out. And this is but like, you can't give me a guarantee that it wasn't changed in that time period. And that's the point. The reliability is low because not only does the con does it, um I'm sorry, not only does the foundation not make sense, the actual reliability of the time frame seems a little bit off. And the hard part about this is that you'll never get a set answer. Every single time you're going to hear something different about when it was written. And I just feel like it becomes too hard to calculate in your brain what is and what isn't. Now, besides everything that I mentioned, another problem that comes to be, in my opinion, that kind of threw me off was the debate on whether Paul even actually met Jesus. And this is something that I feel like it's so big that you just can't look it past. I can't look past this. And the proof of this is in quite a few places. Jesus had commissioned his disciples to preach the good news to the whole world and made his disciples. He said, teach them everything that I have taught you. This means that the good news teaching material was completed. Why would Jesus need to send someone to deliver a second set of teaching after he's instructed his disciples to deliver the first set? However, some say that Paul and Jesus met on the road to Damascus. However, Jesus said, it is better for me to go so the Holy Spirit can come. This indicated that the Holy Spirit and Jesus' ministries do not mix. The Holy Spirit has come. And if he came, then why does Jesus have to break his own word by coming back to meet Paul on the road to Damascus and teach him personally one by one? And that's one of my things. Whether Jesus met Paul or not, or whatever the situation may be between them, I just find it hard for there to even be a questionnaire on this. And I feel like when a god sends down divine religion, he would not allow such a big debate of confusion to take place, period. End of mark. If he decided, let's just say, Jesus was God. Now, stuck for Allah, he's in. Let's just say, he decided that. He's like, okay, I'm gonna make Paul write the Bible. Why would he even allow such a contradiction and such a question 
that we don't have an answer to, while majority of the biblical scholars are leading towards the fact that Paul probably never met Jesus in the first place. Why? Why would you even allow that to happen? This is the matter of your divine book. This is the matter of your word. And now what's happening is no one's actually following Jesus. You're following Paul. You're following what Paul has told you. You're not following what Jesus has said. And you know, I bet you guys have heard this often. They say that Muslims follow Jesus better than Christians do. And I 1000% agree. Because if you look at some of the things that Jesus does, we actually as an Islamic religion and as Muslims, we follow it. We do those things. And it just blows my mind because a lot of this seems like Paul's word, not Jesus's word. It's very, very common that if after hearing all this, your head is spinning or you're wondering who even wrote it, how is it reliable? The truth is we don't know. The actual foundation, in my opinion, does not make sense. The biggest problem that I always come across when talking about this is people tell me, well, it is faith that perfects religion and it's not religion that perfects faith. I disagree with this statement so much. My faith goes up and down. Iman is something that fluctuates. How are you going to tell me that my faith fixes religion? When I have a thousand doubts in me, my religion should cure me. It should tell me and it should give me an answer. I should not have to sit here with my wishy-washy washed out faith and try to fix a wishy-washy book and try to understand what's going on. There's no denying that. And I'm not saying that in a criticism way, but it, it's said. It's a said fact. It's not just opinionated. It's, it's, it's a said fact. We've all know it's been changed. We all know that there's meaning lost in translation. It just seems out of place. And so how am I supposed to fix my faith through that? And which leads me to my next question that if you are someone from a belief, let's say I was, again, I am Muslim, but if I was Muslim and I started thinking, wow, maybe Christianity is the truth. I read the Bible. How is the Bible going to fix me? Because if the Bible has this much, this much translation error and so many different concepts that are broken apart, how am I supposed to believe in the Bible when it is Faith that perfects religion. My faith isn't in Christianity. So how is it supposed to perfect itself? This is a concept that I, I disagree with. And when it comes to the Quran and when it comes to Islam, it is what it is. It's said in the book. You follow it. You don't want to follow it. Then that, that's on you. The big problem that I've come across is that we take the lens of Islam and we put it on every single religion. And we say to every single religion, well, this religion has more than one God. This religion does this. This religion does that. I don't think I can agree with that. What I did was I took off the lens of Islam and I went in every single religion on its own. And I did my digging on its own from the concept to the digging to the foundational belief, all of that. Because how am I supposed to sit here, put on the lens of Islam, sit here and be like, oh, you know, I believe in Islam. This religion doesn't have that. I can't believe in it. That's not how it works. You have to sit here and go through the actual religion itself and figure out why doesn't it make sense. And whatever I'm providing you right now is not contradictions that I'm pulling up flat out in the air. This is stuff that has been around in Christianity itself for a very, very long time. And in my last episode where I talked about all of this stuff, I have shared multiple, multiple, multiple contradictions of the Bible where they will have so much numerical error where they'll be talking about, you know, how many men were fighting. And then in one area, they'll be talking about a certain amount, two. In another area, they'll be talking about one. Some, there'll be difference of thousands. And it's just so strange to me how God would send a book with mistakes or God would allow us to continue to believe this much of a wrong book all right when i said this people are like oh well why would allah let you know there be christians still if islam is the truth the whole point here is this the original 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 torah original 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 injil the things that actually came down to humankind by allah to the certain nations at that certain time by the certain prophets long 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 time ago preach the same word that the quran says today worship one god worship allah you know like this is this is the truth 
But you guys, over time, you know, these nations, they didn't care. They corrupted it. They cherry-picked. They took what they wanted. They ran away with it. It is what it is. They did what they did. And in the end, Allah sent Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, with the whole Quran, the whole revelation, done. That's it. So this was the seal. After that, what else are you supposed to do? You send the religion. You send different books. You send the Injil. You send the Torah. You show these things to people. They don't care. They want to worship whatever they want to worship. We had people still doing idol worship when the signs were quite clear. They had prophets, peace be upon all of them, doing miracles. And then they used to go back and continue to worship idols. So it is not... Really, in my logical reasoning, I just feel like it's an unfair argument to say, why would Allah still allow people to be Christian? Well, because every single human being still has a rational thought. And if you get out of your confirmation bias and you were well aware and well educated on Islam, you would do your digging and you would understand that clearly, whatever you follow, the uncorrupted, true religion, they all lead back to the end, which is Islam. So it was something that was spread out through nations to educate them, to teach them, to get them ready. They they were told that more is going to come. They were told that God is Allah. They were told about all of this. And now today we still have people that are Christian, that are atheists, whatever. They chose that path. Now unless someone is Christian and they are well uneducated about Islam, they have no clue what Islam is, they live in a cave, live in a farm, whatever. That's a different scenario. But if you're well aware of what Islam is and you're well aware that your religion also doesn't make sense to you, then and you're not putting in two and two and doing some research, putting in the work, what do you want me to say to that? You know what I'm saying? The next thing that I'm going to be talking about is something that I cannot wrap my head around no matter what. No matter what. Like, this is something that just blows my brain every single time. And before I get into this, I want to tell you that, again, just preface, none of this is my opinion. I'm sharing with you guys things that I read and have gathered through different, different articles from, well, there's different scholars or different people that are very, very well versed in the Bible. Now, you guys probably have heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Who are they? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, Matthew, tax collector, some of them were traveling companions, whatnot. And one big red flag that I've actually read a lot about from a lot of different Bible studies is why are all these chapters of these men so different? Because these chapters, they discuss Jesus. They kind of, essentially, that's what it's for, right? This is the Bible. This is the word of God. But for some reason, when you read these chapters, they're very, very different on very different, very levels. And... It leads to a contradiction because if all of them are, you know, disciples or they they know someone that know Jesus or this is whatever the train may be, why is it so different? In Matthew, Jesus comes into being when he was conceived or born as like a, of a virgin, right? And in John, Jesus is the incarnate word of God who was with God in the beginning and through who the, whom the universe was made. Then in Matthew, there is not a word about Jesus being God, but in John, it's precisely who he is. And in Matthew, Jesus teaches about the coming kingdom of God and almost never, he doesn't even talk about himself and how divine he is. But in John, Jesus teaches almost exclusively just about himself, especially his divinity. In Matthew, Jesus refuses to perform miracles in order to prove his identity. But in John, all he does is miracles. And then as said earlier, this is not just from me. This is from people that study the Bible. So as confirmed like earlier, sadly, there are some theories that these men have never met Jesus in the first place. Maybe some of them have, but there's a big, 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 wide popular belief that all of them probably did not meet Jesus, which in my mental being, I just don't understand why we include, you know, those chapters and why we give so much, I hate to say this, but importance to them, because if it's not reliable, why? 
And I'm going to say something here that I wanted to just mention. This might sound a little bit off topic, but it's something that I wanted to say because I know that if you are not a Muslim, you probably are thinking this if you have researched Islam. Whenever I talk about the reliability of the Bible, the first thing people like to bring up is hadiths. And I honestly am so proud of the way that our Islamic history went, especially in regards to hadiths. Because one thing that we never did was lie about it in general, about anything and I'm not saying that Christians did, but in general, when it comes to the reliability of Hadiths, we've never, ever ambushed it or switched it up. We've been very honest that this is a grade, this level Hadith, this was narrated by this person, this was this chain of narration, this is how accurate it was, this is how reliable it is, if it's weak, it's sound, whatever it is, we have it written and we are open and we are honest about that. We are not ashamed of the fact that there are some Hadiths that might be a little bit weak, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're unreliable. But the problem here that comes to be is... When it comes to hadiths, right, what what are they exactly? Hadiths essentially relate to the Prophet of peace be upon him, you know, things that he's said, things that he's done, whatnot. And no matter if it's a sound, good, stated hadith, or if it's one that might have a little bit of a weak chain, there's one thing that we can all conclude, and it's that Prophet of peace be upon him had one image, one only. And it was the fact that, you know, he was a messenger of God, he was a good person, he was kind, like he had an overall amazing, great image. Not one person ever said anything bad about him. Even the people that disbelieved in his city that were against him, there were stories of when they used to give him money to protect it because they knew he was trustworthy. He was literally called trustworthy. Everyone knew him to be trustworthy. No matter what happens, he has one set image. And it's the fact that he was a very, very amazing person. Mashallah, may Allah bless him. You know, he was very kind, very generous, very good. And I read this beautiful, beautiful quote. And it said, our prophet, Muhammad, peace be upon him, treated his enemies better than the way that we treat the ones that we love. And that just sticked with me. And I was like, that is so true. Because, you know, there's multiple occasions where... There were enemies throwing stuff at him, doing this, doing that. And he ne never, he, did, he didn't punish them. He was so kind to all of them. And it makes you realize that we punish the ones that we love. It, it, it makes you realize that we don't even have the same heart as him. But getting back to the point, whatever it is, there's one set image. But when it comes to the Bible and all of this, it's always so many different images. And I hate to say this, but it feels like there's something new that comes out nearly every time. And it's it's beyond me. So in my opinion, if you want to bring up the reliability of Hadiths, I think it's 100% invalid. And I'm not saying from a confirmation bias. I'm saying this because we're very, very open about the chains, the narration, you know, the standard, whatnot. And moreover, it's one set image. You're not going to hear anything different about our prophet, peace be upon him. And one other thing that was a red flag for me when I was researching was the fact that Christians say that Jesus is God, right? So again, coming back to that Trinity thing, God is simultaneously Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're all, you know, simultaneously one, but they're not each other, whatever. But if they are all God, they should have that knowledge. That's my opinion. That's what rationally in my brain makes sense. If you disagree with me, okay, cool. But what doesn't click in my head is why doesn't Jesus know when the day of judgment is? Because in Mark 24, 36, he says, but what? But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. But if he, God, is also the father, then why why don't we know if the knowledge is the same? That's one thing that I just don't get. And in counter-argument, Christians always state that Jesus came down in human form. He didn't know. Coming back to what I said earlier, Jesus came down in human form. And even though they're all three God, they should have the knowledge of God. And the problem that people instantly say is, oh, Jesus came down in human form. You know, he was just like us human. He didn't have infinite knowledge. But the whole reason why his blood sacrifice was so valuable is because he was God. He had the divine in him. So why didn't his human self not have the same amount of knowledge? Then, you know, there's so many other problems where Jesus, he's praying. But like, who is he praying to if he's God? They say he's praying to the Father, but 
that also, again, like I said earlier, it's weird. Inevitably, it's the same case of 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 should be equaling 1, but that, that's not how this works. Finally, one thing that I really want to say is that Christians believe that, you know, if you agree with Jesus dying for your sins, you'll go to heaven. But I find this to be injustice because then you're saying that a mass murderer, a rapist, a criminal can all get to heaven since they believe in Jesus. And whenever I say this, Christians get so quick to say, if you believe in Jesus, you won't commit sins. You know, you will work your way towards, you know, believing in him and staying away and refraining from all that. But this contradicts the belief that everyone in Christianity is born sinful. So implying this law of sinful, you're saying that a baby that is infant that is in a hospital with no sense is sinful. Why shouldn't actions be the judgment? Why is a baby that is born infant already labeled as sinful? What did it do? What did it do? It did nothing. And that's the thing. We should not be labeling all humankind as born sinful yes i get it all of us humans we we make sense we are always going to be sinful but to us to be born with this natural you know infinite nature of we're all sinful it feels like you're downplaying any action in the regards because you're sinful so it's never going to be enough so just believe in jesus and that will be sufficient and if humans were to not commit sins we would be angels so why would god expect something out of us that he does not have that he knows that we don't have the capability of doing another problem that really comes up is that you know this happens in some other branches, but some people believe that you need to confess your sins to a higher authority at the church. But why should I confess my sins to someone who's also sinful? And it just, it makes me feel kind of confused because it makes me feel like this person's better than me if I'm telling them my sins. And it's just, the, the concept is a little bit sus to me. And if anything, if he has died for all sins, they say that he died for all sins of mankind, whatever, then why isn't disbelief included in that sin? And I get it that if you're Christian, you might hear this, you might be like, oh my God, what is she on? What is she talking about? Maybe she doesn't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I've heard this in multiple other places, like the concept of salvation. Like, why isn't this belief included in that? That's really all I'm going to say on Christianity. If I said anything wrong or I calculated anything wrong, feel free. My DMs are open. We can talk about it. I don't have any harmful intent when talking about Christians or anything like that because, you know, you do you, whatever it is. So... These are just some random points that made me feel distant and away from it. Now, if these points are something that you feel like you can work around, you feel like you understand, then okay, whatever, that's you. But this is just something that I feel like it should not be this complicated, in my opinion. And now the next thing I'm going to talk about is Judaism. And I'm going to keep this really, really short because I have one problem with this that instantly just makes me turn away from it. So Judaism keeps the belief that, you know, Jews and Israelites are the chosen one in the eyes of God, right? But the truth that I don't understand is why would God send down a religion just for one nation? Like, why would God favor one community over the other? The conversion to Judaism takes nearly six months to a year. And I get it. You know, you're trying to learn the values, the moral compass, the lifestyle, whatnot. But I just don't get why it's not open doors to everyone because thing about god is that god is a source for everyone god should not be something that you have to do all this to access for and a lot of people say that well you don't have to you know go through the classes you could still be a practicing you know but you could still be a practicing individual and not have to go through the six months to a year of classes and still you know keep the belief in judaism but i just don't get it because if you're truly trying to strive in the way of god 
the classes are a must. The six months to a year of classes are a must. Because if you're not completely devoting your time to learning and understanding and changing your lifestyle, whatnot, like you're not getting in the community and in the source of knowledge, it just seems like you're never going to be enough. I don't know about how you guys will feel about that. Maybe you guys are okay with that, but I'm not. Because if, I, let's say I converted to Judaism and I don't have enough money for classes or someone's not letting me into classes, it's not an open door for me. I'm going to feel horrible because while I can follow Judaism, maybe on the outside, follow the commandments, whatnot, I will always feel like I'm not enough because God already, okay, he favors, you know, the Jews, whatever. But now there's people out here that were, you know, born into with the concept of Judaism that did the classes that are practicing, that are among the community, that are doing the right things. And I'm on the outside and I can't take them. That will forever make me feel less because I will never feel like I'm enough in the eyes of God because already he favored another nation. And on top of that, I can't join these classes. I just don't feel like God in this scenario is an open source for everyone. And I get it. Some people may disagree because you can practice outside. But I just feel like when it comes to religion, we all want to strive and like look the best and be the best in the eyes of God. And I just feel like this is something that only a very few amount of people can honestly have access to. Honestly, when it comes back to every other religion... I personally feel like a lot of the other ones, it starts to run towards polytheistic beliefs. And automatically, I don't even put mine towards polytheism because how can an all-powerful God want to share his power with other gods? And multiple gods who are also all-powerful would not want to divide their power among other gods. One god should be sufficient to handle every aspect of life. There's no need to have different gods for different situations as God alone should be sufficient. So when it comes to really some of the polytheistic religions, that's my two cents on that. And after that, I don't even feel like there is a need for me to, I don't want to say look into it more, but I just feel like that yet alone is enough for me to stop and now this is not a religion but i just want to talk about atheism really quickly in here atheism is honestly a really really big thing now and i just feel like there's a lot of gray areas in atheism now i get it atheists believe that religion is a gray area that how do we know god is real what not what not what not but it feels like atheists just, they just rely on science but sadly even islam proves science it proves religion so Evidently, every single thing in this world is created by something or someone, but who created the world? Who created time? Who created the concepts we know of today? To say it was created by nothing is irrational because if you believe everything has a creator, then earth has to as well. Atheists believe that earth always existed or it popped up because of the Big Bang, whatnot. However, this doesn't contradict the existence of God because the Big Bang essentially states that the universe originated billions of years ago in a rapid expansion from a single point of nearly infinite energy density, whatnot. But my question comes down to be who created that single point? Again, no answer. And and then it, again, comes back to that equation, 0 plus 0, it cannot equal 1. Who made the rapid expansion occur? And if you're persistent in the belief of evolution, then who made that thing that started everything? That's what I'm saying. If you believe that there was this, that, rapid expansion, evolution, whatever it is, how did it start? And now you're going to say it started from this origin, but what created to move that origin? Like, what made it happen? Now, this is just rationally my opinion. Look at your body and look at the thousands of mini cells and the complicated pieces. Do you really think that our body just came from nothing? Like it all just happened like this and the atoms and the cells, they just knew where to position themselves and we all work perfectly. And, you know, the human and animal cycle just works perfectly where every single animal knows exactly what it needs to eat. Every single human being knows exactly how to live as exactly a functioning body in the sense of what is inside, what not. Like how, how is that? How does that come from nothing? I just, I can't believe that. It doesn't sit right in my brain.
and the only rational thought that come back to is everything on this earth has a creator, then God, if you think God's created, then who created the person that made God? You get it? Like, it's a train. So God cannot be created. And if God created everything, while God was to be created, I hope that made sense, if you're relying on the belief that God's created, right, by someone else, why would we worship him? We worship God because he's infinite, and us humans are filled with limits. Again, the only logic you fall back on is the fact that God can't be made. God can't be created. And atheists, you know, they run back to say that the Big Bang hates religion and religion hates the Big Bang and whatnot. But I beg to defer because the Quran literally talks about it. So inevitably, this is my little case as to why I believe out of everything, Islam honestly makes the most sense. One God, one book that has been unchanged, a shahada that is accessible to everyone. So anyone who wants to convert that believes can convert. There's no favoritism. Your actions decide your position. Not only does the foundation make sense rationally, it also makes sense emotionally because God's not going to ask you for something that, you, that he knows you can't give. And looking at the scientific aspect, we all know that the Quran has so many mentioned miracles that were, you know, said 1,400 plus years ago that we're still discovering today. From paper money to mountains to iron, moon, whatever it is, it is there and we have it. And so let's be rational, get out of your confirmation bias. What sounds the best? In my opinion, Islam. And that's exactly why I chose Islam. In me, it just makes sense because when I was going on this whole journey, you know, like I needed the push and my push was the fact that I was getting so doubtful about whether Islam was the truth or not that like at one point or another, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm spending years just sitting there in doubt because I was scared to get answers. But once I went out of my way and got answers, I 100% do not regret it because now I don't live in a state of questioning and feeling confused or wondering like, oh my God. Another person converted to Christianity? Like, what's happening? Why are they believing in Jews? And I don't feel that anymore. Because I know what I believe in is right. And I know that what I believe in was not only just, first of all, a gift that God has given me to all of mankind, not just me, but to everyone. It's something that you rationally need to look into. And I feel like if you're Muslim, and, you know, maybe you were born Muslim, whatever your case may be, and you're listening to this, and you're feeling a lot better, I hope that's the goal. But if you're confused as to why you're believing in islam and worshiping god don't live islam on edge islam is such a beautiful religion that when you really get into it and you get into not just the logical and rational aspect but also the emotional you will notice that it will cure so many things inside of you and it will heal you and it will change you but if you continue to live on this on edge lifestyle of oh yeah i believe i believe i'm practicing but then you have so many doubts and you're wondering you know why is this religion true why is this not true don't do that to yourself Go out there and do the research. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Anyone will finish this off by saying thank you so much for listening. As I mentioned all the time, if you're a girl and you would like to join my girls only discord, please feel free to join it. If you're a guy, please don't join. I've had some guys that join and they're like, oh, is it actually girls only? Like, yeah, it is. So if you're a girl, please feel free to join. I make sure that everyone that joins gets verified to make sure they're actually a girl so alhamdulillah on my end i'm trying to do the best that i can to make it a safe space for my girls i hope that all of you are safe i hope that all of you are happy i am starting inshallah if it works out maybe classes starting in february i'm kind of seeing on how many people want to join if you're interested i posted about it on my instagram it's going to be a month of tackling different issues such as depression or anxiety and it will be a cycle every month where we'll be learning how to battle 
let's say for example this month is going to be about anxiety starting february so i'm going to teach you guys how to battle anxiety through the quran through the hadiths and then through science and it's going to be a cycle where i just keep teaching you guys different emotions different hardships and how to get out of them through the quran hadiths and science and then this way not only are you increasing your knowledge about the quran and the hadiths and sunnahs and whatnot but also in science rationally so inshallah if you're interested dm me on instagram i'm inshallah going to start those classes in february if things work out so i hope that all of you guys are well i hope that all of you guys are safe may allah keep all of you happy assalamualaikum